we finish what uh, is is planned to finish tonight, then next week we'll dive into uh, what I, what I think really is the beginning of the great um, uh, doctoral doctrinal treatise of Paul that I, that I think um, <clears throat> he launches in earnest at verse 16. We'll we'll try to get to that next week, but. Uh, I have to remind you that I've, I've kind of skipped around a bit. I, I skipped around a bit last week, and what we did was do that will of God thing uh, that, I, that I hope you remember um, where Paul talks about how he had prayed, but God had hindered him from going, and he wanted to come visit the, the Romans, but God had said no. And then we looked at verse 13. So what we need to do tonight as we begin is go back up to verse 11, uh, pick up verse 11 and 12, and then verses 14 and 15, and we'll um, hopefully do that tonight. Let's, let's begin reading at verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you uh, also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. We, we resume tonight at verse 11 where Paul talks about uh, his longing to, to go to Rome and to see them and to impart some spiritual gift. Um, that, um, that little clause right there is uh, open to a, a, a measure of uh, misrepresentation, I'm afraid, because uh, I hope you um, understand that Paul is by no means suggesting that he has the prerogative of dispensing spiritual gifts. Uh, that is, where he says, I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Paul understands that spiritual gifts is the prerogative, uh, not of man, but of God the Holy Spirit. He also understands that he's certainly not one who is going to grant uh, the Holy Spirit at all. Um, he's writing to Christians uh, who already have a resident Holy Spirit and certainly are already... Um, uh, gifted by God and uh, having, uh, that is, the Holy Spirit having dispensed the gifts uh, to individual believers. That's not what is in view um, by Paul. He knows better than to uh, think that he would be the one imparting spiritual gifts or dispensing spiritual gifts. But you, uh, you look at the uh, verse 11, and Paul is so eager to be among those Christians to do something um, and, and the goal of whatever it is that he wants to do is, as we have mentioned earlier, so that you may be established. Now, I want to do two things real quickly. I want to concentrate on that being established thing in a minute. But if you are in this room and have never heard uh, about spiritual gifts, I'm not going to take but uh, 90 seconds or so, but if you don't know what spiritual gifts are, if that's a new concept to you, I just want to show you where they are in the Scriptures. Because very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, your service to Christ uh, could be uh, marvelously enhanced if you did understand how the Holy Spirit has gifted you. 
Um, let me just show you real quickly. They're mentioned four, uh, three times in the New Testament. Once is in Romans 12. We won't stop there. But the other time, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Corinthians 12. And I want you to look at that one. If you've never seen that one, you need to look at it just real quickly. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the three passages in the New Testament that mention um, this thing that I'm alluding to of spiritual gifts, that every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit with a certain gift makeup, and the, the design and the purpose of that gift makeup, I'll show you in just a second. Um, I, I, I'm doing this for a purpose, and let me, let me just show you real quickly. Uh, notice in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That is, uh, whatever gift makeup you have, the design of that gift makeup is so that the whole body will profit uh, by what God has, has given you. Uh, the way that God has given you uh, gifts, uh, he's done it so that the whole body would uh, profit by the exercise of those gifts. And then notice in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That is, it is, the, it is the will of the Holy Spirit that is exercised in the distribution of those gifts. Now, uh, uh, the reason I mentioned this tonight is because I wanted to correct perhaps uh, an error that might have crossed your mind in verse 11. But I also want to say to you, if you, um, if you are interested in your spiritual gift discovery, we're interested in helping you. And uh, Richard Hall is going to teach a course of four Sunday mornings at 9.30, I think, and um, two of those four weeks are going to be aimed at helping you discover your spiritual gift. And that's important, ladies and gentlemen. It's more important than you know. It'd be a great thing to, uh, if you understood how it is that God has gifted you um, in hopes that those gifts would be used for the, for the good of all. So that's why I mentioned that. Now, back to the other thing. Paul wants to go to the Roman church, and he wants to do certain things that would ultimately aid in a establishing that church. He wants to give them something that will result in their being established. Um, he wants to do something that the result would be that they're strengthened, that they're built up. Um, and what do you think that might be? What does he want to give them? Does he want to lead them in some kind of testimony service? Does he want to uh, gather them into some kind of committee work? Uh, is it, um, what is it that Paul has in mind when he is saying, I can't wait to get over there because when I get there, what I want to do is do something that would see you established or that would strengthen you or develop you or whatever. In the mind of the Apostle Paul, ladies and gentlemen, now yours may differ, <laughs> But in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the way that that takes place is one specific way. I want you to see it. Turn with me, if you will, in your copies to Acts chapter 20. And I want you to see how Paul describes his own ministry. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in Acts chapter 20. Um, he is bidding farewell to some elders at Ephesus. He has spent some time there, and he's about to leave because he's headed to Rome, and he will ultimately die in Rome. But he is uh, leaving. He, he gathers the elders on the, on the beach there, and he says this. Um, 
verse 17, 18. You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Now, so um, he wants to go to Rome, but he's already been to Ephesus. And what did he do in Ephesus when he was there? This is what he wants to do in Rome. You know what I was like when I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Here it is. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Uh, we could read on, but uh, read with me at verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. When I was with you over um, in, in Ephesus, you guys don't understand what I was doing when I was there. I, I proclaimed to you everything that was helpful. I didn't keep back one thing. I moved from house to house. I, 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 I didn't shun. I didn't, didn't draw back from declaring to you the whole counsel. And then in verse 32 is the text that I, I love so. And, and so in, in concluding the speech to the Ephesian elders, he says, so now, brethren, I'm going to leave you. And now, brothers, I commend you to God. And the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among them which are sanctified. Paul turns his back, walks away from people that he loves, and says, the real hope that you're going to have now, in the midst of all of the ravaging wolves and attacks that are going to come upon you, is I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. My point is, ladies and gentlemen, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the way people get established is by knowing the precepts, the mandates, the principles, the laws, the insights, the observations, the limitations that are contained in this book. Um, you, you, you do know this, don't you, that on Sunday afternoons, or usually it's about 5 or 6 o'clock, I go through the cards, you know, the cards that you fill out on Sunday mornings, and I hope that you will sign those things. I, I, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it really does give us a way to keeping up with you. But um, um, I take out all those who, who mark down there, uh, this is my first visit to Gracie Van, and I call them. Did you know, I mean, I probably called you. Um, and I, 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 they pick up the phone and I say, hi, this is Dr. Young from Gracie Van. And they're, oh, no, he wants to come see me. And, and I immediately try to put their, their fears um, aside and say, I'm only going to keep you a second. I get that out real quick. I say, hi, this is Dr. Young from Gracie Van. I'm only going to keep you a second. But I just wanted to thank you for your visit. We're delighted that you've come. We, we, we know there's a lot of good churches in this town, and, and choosing to visit ours is not something we take for granted. We thank you for coming. Do come again. And that's usually the length of the phone conversation. But from time to time, people want to talk to me. I, I know you find that difficult, uh, but, but they do. They want to chat some. And so, you know, and, I, and I, I'm always trying to back off the phone so they won't think I'm trying to lure them into this long conversation. I just want to say thanks for the visit. But Sunday night, I called a, a couple who had visited the church, and she said, um, <clears throat> and as much as you, as you torture me, I'll not tell you the details. But um, she said, oh, uh, Dr. Young, I, 
we really enjoyed being there. And I said, well, good, you know, music my ears. I'm so glad you enjoyed She said, we've been going to the same church for 13 years. I said, well, not so, not so. what church you go to? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> she said, um, she gave me the name. And she said, when we were driving home, my husband said to me, you know what I really liked about that church? And uh, she said, no, darling, what? That man used the Bible. And I, and, and I want to say, wait, wait, wait just a second. Do you mean to tell me that for 13 years you've been sitting under preaching that they didn't use the Bible? Because as far as I understand, the only way that Paul thinks that people are going to be established in the faith is when they are commended to God and to the word of his grace. And why would you continue to sit under that? Why? In heaven's name, why? And I don't know that they'll continue. Maybe they will. But ladies and gentlemen, when Paul wants to visit Rome, the, the, the goal of his visit is to establish them. How, what does he have in mind when he thinks, so? Oh, when I get over there, I want to make sure that those Romans are established in the faith. What he has in mind is that he's going to go door to door. He's, not, he's going to teach the whole council. He's going to tell them everything that God said, and he's not going to shrink back from telling them anything that's necessary. All that originates from this book. That's how you're established, ladies and gentlemen. That's the only way that anybody gets established. And by the way, I, I, I will plead with you. I hope that the only input that you get from this book is not from me. I hope being established, your being established, is not dependent on the 30-minute ditty that you get from me each week. Because, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that ain't going to be enough. To, to, to sink down roots deep into the bedrock of faith comes as I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's what Paul wants to pull off over in Rome. Now, having said that, we come to verse 12, and there's, there's a little ditty in verse 12 that I, that I think, that I, I don't think I'm going too far when I say, he begins in verse 12, uh, he, let's go back to verse 11. Read verse 11 with me. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, gang, I want to suggest to you that there is a, there is a volume of consideration in the that is. The way that you and I, I think, are supposed to understand that is this. Paul makes a statement in verse 11. I can't wait to get over there to you Romans because I can't wait to do something among you that would establish you. And then it's almost as if the Apostle Paul thinks, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I don't want these people to misunderstand me by what I'm saying. And so he adds this, this next sentence um, and begins it, that is, or what I mean by that is, Paul is making sure with this next sentence that he is not misunderstood. He doesn't want them to think that he is setting himself into some kind of 
um, privileged position. He, he, he's not raising himself onto some kind of pedestal. He, he does not want him to think that he is um, in some way uh, qualitatively better than they. And so he says, I can't wait to get over there and, and do something that would establish you people. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Um, it, it's, um, if you were to take verse 11 and isolate it from verse 12, you could almost hear Paul saying something like this. Now, folks, I am the great apostle. And when I get over there, I'll be giving you folks something that'll really help you out. And you are nothing but, but ordinary people in the church. But I, when I get to Rome, I will uh, be sure and give you an audience with me. Because I want to give you a little ditty that will make you better. Um, because you're just the, 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 the I am the, uh, the apostle and you're just the ordinary. Um, therefore, I have so much to give you, so you folks, when I get over there, you need to listen up. Um, that's why the that is, isn't there, ladies and gentlemen? I can't wait to get over there and impart something to you that would help you establish you. But don't misunderstand me. I want you to make sure, I want you to understand that when I'm over there, I too will be encouraged by being with you. I have a lot to give you. But you know what? you got a lot to give me, too. I said there's a lot that could be said, and there are volumes, ladies and gentlemen. For instance, the whole idea of church government could be implied from that that is. The idea of having some kind of hierarchical church government such that I sit on top and, and, you know, send down some kind of dictums to the folks down below is overturned by that little, that is. Um, the, 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 very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, there are, there are several, in fact, in the new members class, we talk about the, the church government, and we, we talk about there being three forms of church government that are, that are available and there is a form of church government called hierarchical church government, where the decisions are all made at the top. And then they're, you know, kind of pressed down. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's not what Paul is setting up here. I'm coming over there, and I'm going to, I've got certain things that I want to give you, but I understand that I'm on the receiving end as well. Yes. The role that I'm going to play because of God's gifting in my life is going to perhaps differ from you. But you've got something to give to me, too. I remember um, when Gene Getz first wrote his book, gosh, it must have been in the 50s when he wrote this book, called Body Life. And it, and it was, you know, they, there was Bible studies all over the country on, on this book, Body Life. The whole idea was so brand new. It shouldn't have been, but it was. And, and in that book, Gene Getz called himself something that I, I'm telling you every evangelical pulpit in America picked it up. He said, when, when I view myself in, in terms of my uh, role as a player coach, 
Now, gang, I don't know why that had gotten lost, but it has gotten it had gotten lost. I, I used I always used to like to say it like this: I don't want to be a do it all. I want to be a do it with you all. And and Paul has that that flavor when he when he says there is a mutual ministry that can go on when the people of God get together with the leaders of God or the leaders of the people of God. Um, Folks, um, if any man ever had a reason to be proud of himself, it was Paul. He could have claimed, he could have established popedom, but he didn't. Um, and in that he demonstrates a, a, a just a, an unparalleled and a delightful humility, I think. There is no hint of some kind of hierarchical government here. Um, by the way, you know, I, I really would like for you to see this. So if you've still got your Bibles open, turn with, to Mark chapter 10. I hope you've still got your Bibles open. I, 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 we just read this in the series on Mark, but I really didn't draw your attention to it. Um, let me begin. I'm in Mark 10, verse 42. Are you ready? But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Gang, this, this, the church learn this hierarchical government stuff that was stolen from the world because Jesus goes out of his way to say yeah the Gentiles they do it like that but that's not the way you guys are supposed to do it it shall not be so among you let me show you one other passage uh, and you, you really need to see this one too it's in first Peter chapter 5 first Peter is after Hebrews after James Hebrews James first Peter and, and here gang is a a comprehensive picture as to how the people of God are supposed to function governmentally, I think. Are you there? First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God which is among serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Gang, I'm saying to you, all of that is in those words that is. Paul is very concerned that people not, not elevate him and not put him in a position of eminence. But he makes a statement that perhaps they were thinking, he's thinking maybe could be misunderstood, so he adds to that. He says, well, no, no, don't misunderstand me now. I want you to understand that when I get over there, not only am I, do I want to do something that I think will help you, but I can't, I'm looking forward to you ministering to me as well. They have a role to play, just like he does. Um, again, just as an aside, quickly, one of the reasons 
that that we do a testimony from time to time. Well, we don't do it very frequently. You know that. But we did one Sunday. We hadn't done one in four months. But one of the reasons that we do that is because I am convinced that I'm not the only one in this congregation with something to say. Some of you got something to say, too. Some of you got a story that would be, and, and I get the privilege from time to time of hearing them. You got something to say as well. Because the, Paul recognizes that the Romans had something to give him. I'm not the only one that has something to say. And I think that is what is in view here when Paul adds this, this other sentence that begins with that is. That I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. When I get over there, I'll minister to you and you'll minister to me. Now let's, let's race through verses 14 and 15 and we'll close up for the night. Um, I, by the way, we, we looked at verse 13 last week, as you know, that was connected with um, verse 10 um, about the will of God, etc. I hope you remember that. But uh, we're at verse 14 now. Uh, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Um, the, the word debtor is key uh, in understanding those two verses. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. Um, the, the word that, that makes most sense to me, I don't know what it will help you, but the word is indebted. That is, um, that, that Paul recognizes that he is bound by a certain duty, by a certain necessity um, to, to do something. Um, it's, it's like um, the, the, the thought that came to my mind is when Jonas Salk developed the vaccine for polio, he, at that moment, was in, in, in our debt. He was indebted. To, it, it, was, it, was, it was a debt of necessity that he share that with those with that horrible disease, and which, of course, he does and did, etc., and has eliminated polio. But, but, but that, I think, is the way that we are to understand what Paul is saying. I am indebted uh, I, there is, to both Greeks and barbarians. There is, by way of duty, there is by way of necessity, there is by way of reason, uh, a duty that I have uh, to, to do what I'm going to do and what I do with Greeks and the barbarians and to both wise and to unwise, to everybody, to anybody and everybody. It, you, you remember Paul's statement in, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, I think, where he talks about, for the love of Christ compels me. And I think that's similar to what he's saying here, is that I am compelled to bring what I have to Greeks and to barbarians, um, to, to both wise and unwise. I, I, I think this duty that Paul senses that he has, he understands that it's to all men, that it cannot be limited to a certain audience, but what he is, he has got. He owes it to all men. Now, gang, um, the Apostle Paul, um, by, by saying this, recognizes that he has something that he must give away, and he must give it away to everybody. I don't care whether they're a Greek or a barbarian. I don't care whether they're wise or they're unwise. I don't care whether they're established or non-established or whatever. I, I'm indebted. Because I have something, and I am in debt. I'm in their debt until I give it to them. Ladies and gentlemen, 
of course, going back to my little illustration of Jonas Salk, um, what would you what, what what would you have thought of such a man who had developed something that could be so beneficial to the to the world at large and kept it to himself? What would you have thought of somebody like that? Oh, you would have you would have you would have concluded that there was a uh, a wicked man underneath that genius, wouldn't you? Um, I, I'm sure you know where I'm headed. Because Paul is not the only one that has this obligation, ladies and gentlemen. One of the, um, one of the books that I've had, in fact, I've, I've used the title on numerous occasions. Um, it's a John Stott book. And to me, the title of the book communicates volumes. Um, the title of the book is simply Our Guilty Silence. <laughs> Jonas Salk would have been guilty had he remained silent. Wouldn't he? And my brother and sister in Christ, what is it that you've got do you believe that what you've got is the thing that is going to deliver men from an eternity of hell? Do you believe that? Then I, then I say this, this debt that Paul senses that he has is not one that we carry around very well. It's not one that we, um, that I think we do very well with, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, um, and, and with this I'll, I'll shut up. Um, yesterday I was in a lunch um, with a man whose name is not important, but um, he had attended here uh, in kind of an official capacity, and, and he, he walked away very impressed with you. And, and, and I do mean that. Um, it wasn't, because I didn't, I mean, it was during the missions conference, and I didn't, and he wasn't impressed with me. He's impressed with you. Um, and so he sat there and he told me um, uh, a certain impressions that he had about Gracie Van. And they were very flattering uh, about you and, and, and about your vitality and your interest in things. And, and they, were, they were very positive and flattering. And, 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 you know, I looked at him and I said, you know, you're right. Your assessments are right. And what you think you saw, you see. It is there, and I get the privilege of ministering to those people, um, because in the main, you've got this bunch of people who are who are very, very um, motivated and interested and desirous to be what Jesus would have us be, etc. In response to His love, in response to His grace, and He said, "Well, tell me this: where, where would you say Gracie Van is failing?" Where would you say? How would you answer that? Let me tell you how I answered it. <laughs> um, and, and, and very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, if, if need be, I'll take all the blame. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we are failing right here. This sense of debt. This sense of duty and obligation that what we have must be given to Greek and barbarian to wise and unwise. 
I said to him, you know, we have this wonderful philosophy of ministry. And I think, I think it's a wonderful philosophy of ministry, reaching unchurched world through material believers. And, and I think in half of that philosophy statement, we are really doing well. And I said that to him. And I said, the other half, we're failing. We're failing because, like Paul, we have no sense of debt. And, and may I say this to you, and may I muster every fiber of my being. You've got to know how passionately I mean this. This church does not exist for you. It exists for them. We have got to wrap our minds around that. That we are indebted to both Greek and barbarian, to both wise and unwise. We must get that. And then he closes by simply saying, and as a result of my great burdens, I'm ready and eager to preach the gospel to you at Rome. He was told not to go to Rome. He was told that if he went to Rome, he would die. And in the face of those warnings, he said, because I'm indebted to Greek and barbarian, to wise and unwise, my life is not the issue. I'm eager to even preach the gospel to you at Rome. Um, oh, that God would give us a greater sense of our debt. If you're in a meeting, and I think Global Missions is meeting tonight, and, and the choir, this is a great time to uh, exit stage right. Father, forgive us that um, we enjoy we, we enjoy our uh, our friends almost too much. Um, we have forgotten that we carry around something far more precious than what Jonah Salt carried around, and that if people don't get what we've got, we say that we believe that they'll perish forever. I guess how much we believe that is evidenced in, um, in our sense of burden or lack of same. But Father, um, forgive us and give us a greater urgency about what we know and what we enjoy and love. To be forgiven is, is a prized possession of the Christian. And to think that when we stand before you, there will be no sense of condemnation nor denouncement because all that we have done has been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, it's that message that uh, we have not been eager to communicate and it has made our silence a guilty silence indeed. So stir within us, Father, a greater uh, zeal, a greater determination 
to take what we have now enjoyed and uh, take it to the Greeks and the barbarians and the wise and the unwise. It is our duty, and uh, forgive us that we have shirked it. Um, our intention, O oh God, is to um, bear that responsibility with greater Christ-likeness. We make our prayer tonight, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, and good night.